This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 212, Cost of Living. The higher, the fewer. Or, as the hits get bigger, the numbers get smaller. We're on our way to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Casey Kasem. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log. (laughs) That that was good. That was really good. I think you fooled a lot of people. I think probably so. And they thought, whoa, is this like a time warp? Because I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all 30 people in our audience who know who Casey Kasem is, he was the voice of Shaggy. That's he was the voice know. of Shaggy. He was he was lots of voices, including the voice of America. And he also freaked out on the air. Yeah. <laughs> so, that yeah, was look fun. that up. Yeah, so let's see. It goes, it goes uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, Moonlighting, mm-hmm. uh, Love Boat, and then the Casey Super Kasem train. podcast. The appreci- Oh, right, Super Train, right? And then the appreciation, right. the Casey Kasem appreciation podcast. Kasem cast we'll <laughs> coming to you in 2035. Exactly. All right, I'm going to do my thing now, Ken. I'm going to tell our listeners that each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, and we work on that episode sometimes entirely too much, taking it <laughs> apart for messages and morals and meanings, and seeing whether the episode stands the test of time. This week, cost of living. The one where Alexander Roshenko learns to grow up. Loxana Troy learns to not grow up. Worf learns to mud bathe, and everybody gets sweaty. I've got trivia coming up, but first... But first! A few words about a bunch of starships. More specifically, Star Trek starships. And still more specifically, the official Star Trek starships collection. Now here is what that is. You subscribe to the official Star Trek starships collection, and you get two ships a month, from the original series through the Kelvin timeline and beyond... It's not just the ships you get, though. You also get a magazine filled with production notes, design notes, and in-universe information about the ship. Plus, you get a digital download of the magazine, which not only gives you access to even more information online, it lets you keep the physical magazine as close to new as possible. And you get all of that for $20 per ship, two ships a month, two magazines a month, two digital magazines a month, 40 bucks a month. Plus, you get extra surprises the longer you stay subscribed. And you can start your subscription at a crazy low price. Get the Enterprise 1701D, as featured in today's show. Oh, and spoiler alert, it's in peril. That kind of happens from time to time. Anyway, you get the Enterprise D and its accompanying magazine for $4.95 to try the whole thing out. Again, for today's show, I'm going to sprinkle my little Enterprise D with glitter. That'll be my uh, tribute to today's show. You can do that. You can reenact exciting scenes like sprinkling the Enterprise with glitter. So the address again to do all that is st-starships.com slash mission log. st-starships.com slash mission log. Trying it out not only supports this show, it makes you the commander of your own personal armada. That address again is st-starships.com slash mission log. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's episode of Mission Log. You know, we say Mission Log an awful lot there, and we throw out a lot of addresses. 
a lot of different uh, mm-hmm. a lot of different URLs, a lot of different ways to contact people, and I'm just going to keep doing that. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn it over to John Champion for all things trivial. Well, thank you for that, Ken. Today's trivia for cost of living kicks off with the writer. This is written by Peter Allen Fields. Now, we've mentioned Peter before as co-writer of Half a Life, and by this time on The Next Generation, he was around as an executive script consultant. He definitely knew his way around TV production. He had written for The Man from UNCLE, The Six Million Dollar Man, McLeod, and a lot more. And he will be here for a little while longer on Next Gen and then jump over to Deep Space Nine. This episode was directed by Wienrich Kolbe. And of course, our old standby Kolbe, who we first mentioned with Where Silence Has Lease and many more. Most recently, The Masterpiece Society. He'll be around for the next three Trek series as well. Now, you might have heard the mention of nitrium in this episode. It's actually an old-fashioned word for a variant of sodium. Don't think that's exactly what they meant. Could have been what they were thinking along those lines with this episode. But, um, by the way, it's also a model of a Hot Wheels car, the Hot Wheels nitrium. So maybe, just maybe, the Enterprise is run on Hot Wheels. I like to think that it is. Um, We have a missing scene here, actually a couple of missing scenes. Uh, There's one in Deanna's office. Uh, She and Worf are talking around their problems with parents and parenting as they are talking to each other. Uh, That would have taken place right after the dinner scene with Worf and Alexander. It's a perfectly fine scene, if a little on the nose for the episode. It was cut for time, but you can see it on the Next Generation Blu-ray, Season 5. And you have an extension of the scene where Loaxana meets Campio in the transporter room. She's really pushing for some uh, personal time with Campio, but he insists that Urko must come along for everything. And Ken, I know that you were wondering about the wind dancer effect in the holodeck, <laughs> and I'm here to tell you that that was created by filming a bowling ball and then compositing the face of the actor on the bowling ball. So he had like a really small head then. Well, he didn't have to have a small head. You could actually change the the size. Of, see, it's all camera trickery. No. You can it's oh. not a yeah. It doesn't actually have to fit. You take a bowling ball and you <laughs> film it uh, well without the holes. Yeah, and uh, shine a bright light on it. So then you have this glowing orb, and then you composite the actor with all that checkerboard makeup right on top of it. No holes. No holes. How'd they get his head inside it? Sorry. Well, see, you did. All right, no, I understand, yeah, I understand the whole thing. Actually, you know, it's, it's yeah. interesting because you said I've got, I've got, I've got a note on the effect, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, it's going to be about how they change the colors because that to me was actually that was the one that I wondered about in that whole effect thing. Right, right. Well, you know, we have talked before about early use of CGI on Next Gen, so that could very well have been a CG effect. Although you could simply, with the camera negative of uh, of that actor with his makeup, mm-hmm. uh, you could have actually just done color timing or create a negative out of that and then switch out the the film. So there are a number of ways that they could have done it. And by the way, this, mm. this might surprise you to know, this episode actually won two Emmy Awards. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, exactly. Oh, Bob okay. Blackman yeah. won for uh, costume design, individual okay. achievement in costume design, and it also won a makeup award. Makeup honestly makes sense to me because the juggler, while, yep. while he does not make sense to me. No. Um, right. it, it was impressive. I mean, no, I mean, like, like I, I was looking at his ears. Or yeah, ear. he's got the thing that goes around right. the back of his head, right? Yeah, his ears are joined around the head, which which makes no sense to me from an evolutionary standpoint, but it was an mm-hmm. impressive makeup effect. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. So uh, you have uh, makeup and uh, and you have a costuming All right. award for this show. Yeah, good. All right, let's talk about guest stars. We have a lot of returning guests, obviously. We have Majel Barrett as Waxana Troy. We have Brian Bonsall as Alexander. And we have Carol Stroykin as Mr. Hom, but this is his last appearance as Mr. Hom. He will be back one more time in Voyager in a different role. Now, new to the episode, we have a handful of people worth mentioning. We have Patrick Cronin as Urko. Um, he started making the guest star rounds in the 70s, and he shows up on Operation Petticoat, Wonderbug, Remington Steel, Night Court, and more. He had recurring roles on Alice and Knott's Landing. We have Tony Jay as Compia. Now, Tony Jay is a highly recognizable character actor who also started out in the 70s. He made the TV guest star rounds, but he shows up in recurring roles on Lois and Clark, Twin Peaks. Um, he was in the TV series Beauty and the Beast, and then a couple of years later, he was a voice in the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. And in addition to that, he just has a massive list of credits as a voiceover actor. Rugrats, Hey Arnold, Mighty Ducks, Fantastic Four, and what was really cool to me, he is the voice of the supreme being in Time Bandit. Is he really? All-time favorite movies, yes. So wait, the guy who actually turns up as the supreme being was not the voice of the supreme being? That is correct. That's really interesting. Uh, I feel like yeah. a point of clarification may be in order here really quickly. There, mm-hmm. there may be some kids listening who don't know that there was a Beauty and the Beast in the 80s. Oh, because there's oh, yeah. a, there's no, a Beauty and the Beast yeah, today, yeah. or at least as right. we record this, I think it's still going. I don't know. I want to say it's like a CW thing or something. I don't know. Check yeah. your local yeah. listings for that. <laughs> and whatever year we recorded this, just in case that's over. But you're talking about the Beauty and the Beast, Beast TV series, which had, um, oh, Ron Perlman and... And Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. Thank you very much. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. after our Casey Kasem Appreciation Series, I think. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a well-regarded show. I, I believe still has a cult following. But yes, uh, kids today probably would not know that show. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I loved that show when it was on and uh, and really just sort of set up the rest of Ron Perlman's career. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Put the guy under makeup exactly. and let him go. Need a deep yeah. voice and a mask. I'm your man, says Ron Perlman, <laughs> except he says it in a much more impressive way than I just did. Much, much deeper. Hey, yeah. well, you don't have to All be right. that way about it. <laughs> and finally, Ken, we have Albie Selznick as the juggler. And he got a start on fairy tale theater. And he was a regular in the soap opera world, in addition to his TV guest appearances and a recurring stint on Suddenly Susan. He will be back for more Star Trek as well, with two different roles on Voyager. And he also has some feature credits to his name, like Beverly Hills Cop 3. And I think he may be our very first Star Trek crossover with Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. What do you get when you cover Deanna's mother and Worf's son in mud and cover the Enterprise in glitter? You get this. 
prologue. In what promises to be an action-packed episode, the Enterprise is chasing an asteroid that's headed for a planet threatening the inhabitants below. The first few attempts to stop it, divert it, and destroy it don't work, but the last one does. It's always the last thing you try, isn't it? It's kind of a silly phrase. Like it's always the last place you look. Of course it's the last place you look. Who keeps looking after that? Yes, I'm stalling. With the planet safe, the Enterprise heads off to its next adventure, which may end up having something to do with the trail of glitter that just left the destroyed asteroid and entered the Enterprise unseen. Act 1. Lieutenant Commander Worf and his son Alexander Roshenko are arguing in the office of Counselor Troy. Alexander's supposed to pick up his dirty clothes after playing, but he did not. The child says he was told that yesterday, but not today, and Worf's like, you knew that was for every day, and Troy's like, T.O., you guys need a contract. Sit down and decide who has to do what, and what the rewards will be for holding up your end of the bargain. As they leave, Troy tells Alexander that one day he'll be glad for his father's rules. Eventually, most children come to appreciate their parents. As if she'd said Beetlejuice three times, she gets a call from Commander Riker. Deanna's mother has boarded the Enterprise. Luoxana Troy is her usual whirlwind. Not only is she getting married, she's getting married in three days on the Enterprise to Compio, the third minister to the Conference of Judges from the planet Costalane. He looks good on paper, which is how Luoxana knows him. They've not actually met, you see, but did I mention how good he looks on paper? Deanna thinks maybe they should actually meet before deciding to tie the knot. This family squabble interrupted by another family squabble. Worf and Alexander have tracked Deanna down to 10 forward to say that the contract negotiations are not going well. Luoxana imposes herself on the conversation, saying, Well, duh, he's a kid. And what are the stakes for you, Worf, if you break your end of the contract? Writing roughshod over Deanna's work with the father-son team, Luoxana tells Alexander that the most important thing in life is to enjoy enjoyment. Captain Picard has just been informed of Loxana's arrival on the ship, and he is sick to the teeth of being her galactic taxi. Until he hears of her plan to marry aboard the Enterprise and her desire to have Jean-Luc walk her down the aisle. Nothing would make him happier than giving away Loxana Troy. Also, there's glitter in the hallway. Like from the prologue, not from the love shack. Act 2. Alexander is hanging out in Counselor Troy's office by himself. He tells Loxana that he's early because, well, he wanted to be out of his quarters before his father got home. It's always rules, rules, rules with him. Loxana says rules are made to be broken, and with that, they head to the holodeck. There she has the computer call up a program for a colony of free spirits. Loxana goes there for the mud baths. There's a wind dancer, standing guard, or floating guard really, making sure that only those whose hearts are joyous may enter. There's a fire sculptor, a juggler, a couple of people arguing, and a goat-like orator. Slow and plodding in his proclamations, one of his pronouncements strikes a chord with Alexander. The higher, the fewer. Alexander uses this to stop the arguers from arguing. Then it's time for a mud bath. Muddy and drinking, the goat-like orator proposes a toast to all the creatures within us. This confuses Alexander. Though Loxana explains he's basically talking about emotions or urges or something. The desires within. They're part of us. And we shouldn't be afraid to take them with us wherever we go. They might even save us from ourselves. Then it's time for a little entertainment. But that is interrupted. 
Deanna and Worf have tracked Loxana and Alexander down in the holodeck. Act 3. Back in the real world, Deanna is reading Loxana the Riot Act. Stay out of my work with Worf and Alexander. And why aren't you working on your wedding? Loxana says Mr. Holm is dealing with the details, including altering the dress that she'll wear. Wait a minute, what? The bride and groom at a Betazoid wedding are supposed to be naked. But that wouldn't fly with Compio. So, a compromise for Compio. Also, the food replicator in Loxana's room is on the fritz. <laughs> Remember the B-plot? Turns out it's not just Loxana's replicator. Over 200 reports have come in about similar issues. Jordy and Data try to track down the trouble, which ends with some sort of gooey goo in a Jeffrey's tube. Nothing kinky. In her quarters, Loxana is having her wedding gown frowned at by Mr. Holm. Alexander stops by for a visit and to apologize if he got her in trouble. She says she wasn't in trouble, then unloads on him about life, specifically hers. When asked why she's getting married, she says she wants to spend her life with someone. She's getting old, you see, and she doesn't want to be alone. So, she's compromising. It keeps you from being afraid, she says. The B-plot's still happening, by the way, and it's getting worse. Systems are starting to break down all over the ship. Act 4. The bridge gets the ship back in control. But seriously, technical, technical, tech, tech. Something is turning metal into goo. In the transporter room, Compio, the third minister to the Conference of Judges from the planet Costellane, has beamed aboard to meet his bride. And he's brought his protocol master. Because things must be done properly. After all, it would be unpardonable to simply abandon ourselves to the moment, would it not? <laughs> it's like he's never met Loxana. No, wait. Still, she's going along. B-plot alert. The metal being turned into goo is nitrium, which it turns out is in everything on the Enterprise. Something is eating all of the nitrium. If Data and Geordi don't figure out what's causing the change, the ship will be destroyed. In their quarters, Worf and Alexander are once again at odds. The boy is trying a bit of word jujitsu on his father. When that doesn't work, he tries an old chestnut. The higher, the fewer. Mic drop. Alexander out. In her quarters, Loxana's worlds are colliding. She has stuffy wedding stuff she has to do, but she's promised to take Alexander to the holodeck, which doesn't sit well with Compio, his protocol dude, nor Deanna and Worf who've come in for their how-to-parent tour. While Camp Compio and Camp Worf argue over what is to happen, Loxana sneaks out with Alexander. We seem to be getting somewhere on the B-plot, by the way. Geordi and Data finally see what we've seen all along. It's space glitter that's eating the Enterprise. Act 5. There is seriously no joy in Mudville. The juggler from the Free Spirit community has no balls. The ones he was juggling. He's eaten them. And now he's sad. As is Loxana. Not about the juggler's props, but the clarity of a child, which he is. Alexander basically points out how wrong Compio is for Loxana. Maybe this would be a good time for one of the little people inside Loxana to save her. It leads to a nice moment, which is cut short by the holodeck breaking down. The goo is invading the play space because B-plot. Here's what happened. Remember the asteroid that the ship destroyed in the prologue? It was rich in nitrium. When the Enterprise destroyed that, the glittery parasites feeding on the nitrium on the asteroid jumped ship. Or jumped onto the ship 
and started dining on the Enterprise. But they know where that asteroid came from. So they'll go back there and try to lure the glittery parasites to jump off the ship and into a nitrium-rich asteroid field. Tension, 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 pressure, 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 near death, near death, near death. A whole lot of sweating later, it all works out. The glittery parasites leave the ship, stopping the degradation just in the nick of time. Time for Loxana Troy's wedding, for which she shows up late and naked in the Betazoid tradition. This makes Compio's protocol person apoplectic. The wedding is off. Time for a mud bath. Just Loxana, Alexander, Deanna, and Worf. The end. Ken Ray, your suffering will be legendary. Nah, it really wasn't. Be, here's the thing. Th- th- this was not a... Well, thank you. <laughs> here's the funny thing. So I think we need to tell uh, people what happened. So, sure, yeah. Because years from now, no one will remember that we skipped a week. But we actually skipped a week last week. And, and the way we do this, you may have picked up on it, is one week I'll do the recap. Right. Then the next week John will do the recap. Then the next oh, week I, like I do the recap. Yeah. And then the mm-hmm. week after that John does the recap. And you may sense a pattern occasionally one of us will forget what the pattern was or where we left <laughs> off in the pattern and we end up with two recaps so i don't know maybe as a supplemental we should we should do your recap oh let's do that yeah that'll be fun yeah no to be fair there, there was uh, a major holiday in between there was and yes. um and, and some some personal illness so yes uh, just there was being that completely too. out of it for a week yeah um, but but that's what you get on, on the other end of it. You get two recaps of cost of living. <laughs> so, yeah, which ultimately because you have an A plot and a B plot, it's it's like getting four recaps. That's true. Know? That's true. Yeah. So you say that my suffering is legendary, dude. Mm-hmm. Yours was for naught. <laughs> it'll uh, it'll make its way into the public. So uh, some observations in this one, Ken. Um, I feel like we have many miles to go before we pick this one apart. I'm just going to start things off by saying that uh, Mr. Woof, mm-hmm. I, I know that they're going for humor. I know that they're just trying so hard to squeeze in a joke in a whimsical episode. But it's one of those things where y- you tell as the viewer, it's either the writer trying to be really clever, or even if you separate yourself and say, no, it's Loxana really trying to be clever and, and make a joke. And either way, it's really irritating. Okay. It, you know, it is irritating. I will say, though, uh, Michael Dorn is really good in this episode. In an episode oh, sure he where is. he doesn't yeah. really get to do much of anything. I mean, it does, mm-hmm. it does give him a chance to be, um, to be uh, funny. Funny, funny, funny feels like is is overstating it a bit, but he gets to be humorous, I would say. Well, there's only so many ways that you can play surly and sort of grunting. That's true. But he actually finds many, many levels within that. And he is quite good. Yeah. He's quite good. The original draft of this script, actually, the third time she did that, he reached into her chest, pulled out her heart and showed it to her before she died. Wow, that would have been quite the. Episode. It's a different turn. It's a different turn for the for yeah, the, for the yeah. thing. So I think probably right. going, you know, just the different ways you can be whimsical about it, uh, probably better. Mm-hmm. Um, so this episode does prove something that I think we all know: uh, glitter mm-hmm. is evil. It sure is. It is. Yeah, I hate glitter. I hate glitter. I, I actually, you know, what's funny? I'm wearing a shirt right now <laughs> that I, I swear to you. 
I found purple glitter on it this morning. Now, I do not remember the last time I came into contact with purple glitter yeah. at all. Okay, sure. No idea. Okay. No idea. And yet I looked on the sleeve and there was purple glitter. <laughs> Sorry, no idea. I'm, I'm yeah. having trouble and, not making up all the ways in my head that purple glitter Oh, I know. Across your oh, I know. and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been glitter bombed? That, that's the most evil no. thing in the world. No, I have not. And I'm yeah. afraid now that I've said how much I hate glitter that it's going to happen. I, no, I even no, hate no, like no. like when you get Christmas cards that have just a little bit of glitter on them. And I love oh, getting Christmas worst. cards. Yeah. I love getting Christmas cards. But when you get the Christmas cards or, sure. or the birthday cards or any kind of card with just a little bit of glitter on it and people think, well, that's been glued mm-hmm. within an inch of its life. No, glue it till it's dead because within an inch of its life is enough for <laughs> glitter to go ahead and jump off and, of course, eat all your sodium. Yep. Yep. That's what it does. And and now it's a good thing that that glitter leaves behind that orange goo. And even more importantly, that Riker tells Jordy to figure out what the goo is. <laughs> I, I love that scene where they've got the, the canister of the goo. Right. And clearly, Jordy and Data have been working on this because, it, by the way, it's eating the ship. Like the thing that is protecting them from the vacuum and certain death in space. Yeah. That is being destroyed bit by bit. And Riker at the end of that scene is like, uh, why don't you figure out what that is? <laughs> nice. Jordy yeah. should just be like, yeah. We did talk about the episode a few weeks ago where they had to like, you know, relay orders. It's like, you know, somebody said, I'm here now. And somebody else said, okay, we'll go ahead and do the thing. And they relayed that order back to somebody else. And then it comes back through the chain of command. Right. 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 He has to make that order. He has to make that order. Sure. I understand what yeah, you're saying, no, and you're not I, wrong, yeah. but he has to. He absolutely has to issue that order. There, uh, they got data. Data is 10 steps ahead. Data, data has probably already done a, uh, a spectrographic analysis with his eyes. We may need to talk about the whole— And actually, Jordy could, too. We, okay, yeah. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Although it is interesting that uh, it's the absence of nitrium that they're like, hey, wait a minute, there's no nitrium anywhere having anything to do with any of this stuff. Okay, that's, you know— so maybe mm-hmm. they actually kind of done that already. Um, I didn't talk about it in the recap, but it's actually data that saves the day, right? Like every, basically everybody on the Enterprise is near death. And I don't mean like, you know, something's about to hit the ship. I mean, they're all like sweaty and dying because, you know, when you're almost dead, mm-hmm. first thing you do is sweat, I guess, because that seems to be what happened here. I don't Profusely. know. Yeah. They all, it's, it was like they had all been drooling in their sleep actually when they you know got up, but whatever. It's Data who comes up with the plan. It's Data who executes the plan. Uh, 1,100 people on the ship It is once again Data who who is able to do everything. Mm-hmm. I, I really mm-hmm. wonder why they don't just give him a ship and let him go out on his own. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know, give Bruce Maddox a chance and he would just replicate Data's brain and put that in a ship computer. Why I not? think that's honestly what Starfleet should be working on, <laughs> which I'm mm-hmm. not – that's mm-hmm. not really – that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's talk about the Wind Dancer. And I know you're saying, have we not talked about the Wind Dancer enough? Oh, there's so much more. Well, there's a little yeah. bit more. So his job is to keep people who aren't happy out of this colony that's supposed to make people happy. Mm-hmm. If you don't already have a joyous heart, keep moving. It's pretty much his job. And it kind of struck me as like like how you know rich people get stuff for free. You know, right? <laughs> okay. It's like, you, right. oh, you can afford this? Well, put your money away. It's no good here. It's, you know, it's kind of like that. Mm. It's like, oh, you're happy? Well, come on into this place that makes you happy. Oh, you're unhappy? You're going to ruin it for everybody. So I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. That's uh, sort of a self-defeating thing. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. I guess. He's also a lousy guard because Worf literally pops him like a balloon. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Uh, if you're a wind dancer, your your lifespan is uh, greatly endangered. <laughs> so. Well, if you see a Klingon coming, just, you know, go the other mm-hmm. way. Maybe let mm-hmm. them pass. Assume that you don't want a piece of the joy that's in his heart. No, no, you you may not. Um, and, and actually, I, you know, as much as I like to think of myself as um, as being full of joy, I, I kind of side with Worf on this, um, just because I kept thinking, all right, parallax. First of all, parallax. I, I think that's that motion effect on an iPhone screen that you turn off so you don't get dizzy <laughs> when you look at your phone. Um, it is. But any time that they were in the holodeck simulation of the colony at Parallax, it was uh, it was going into a new chapter of my book called John Champion's Worst Nightmares, and uh, it'll be chapter eighteen called "The Day Cirque du Soleil Crashed into a Renaissance Fair," and uh, that's that that's the thing that wakes me up in uh, uh, cold sweats at night. Yeah, really mm-hmm. good makeup though. Really good makeup. Great makeup. Great award-winning makeup. Yeah. But, yeah. But there's just, there's so much juggling, and there's whimsy (laughs) everywhere. Like, you cannot turn over a leaf without finding whimsy somewhere. It is a bit whimsical. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, like the two people who argue reminded me a bit of um, Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Although I don't remember if they actually argued. But they they were sort of like a a low-rent Alice in Wonderland thing going on here. I'm just saying that Tim Burton would show up and be like, no, there's entirely too much whimsy here. Please, please tone down the whimsy. Okay? Yes. And I thought, uh, let's see, that dinner scene, which is kind of fun. Uh, It must be really frustrating for Worf to try to get Alexander to eat his dinner because he replicated that plate of what looked to me like uh, tomatillos, maybe some macaroni or something in there, and then some beets. I think I think there were some sliced beets there, and I thought this kid—he's got a lesson to learn. If you don't eat your beets, you can't have any pudding. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your beets? <laughs> so he's really got to learn that. Wow! And then yeah. Worf crushes his tomatillos with his bare hands, just like a warrior would. Yes, because that's what warriors do. If you can't fight Skeletor, you, you crush a tomatillo. Yeah. All by the way, uh, in view of his ball chair. The higher, the fewer. No, seriously. Think about it. The higher, the fewer. My circuits are melting. I can feel it. I can feel it. The higher, the fewer. It is like, the higher, right? Then, the fewer. You get it? The higher, the fewer. The higher, the fewer. So because it's me, and because I'm honestly not sure how much we have to talk about in this episode, I, I feel like I have to raise the question about the entertainment around the mud bath. Okay, so you had uh, you had juggling. Yeah. You had arguing. Yeah. You have no, no, uh, no, cup no. Eating. They call for they call for the entertainment, and the entertainment turns out to be a uh, a body painted woman, um, just you know, yes. kind of dancing around the whole thing. 
and 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 yeah. the, the sort of goat like orator blows her a kiss and and i I felt mm-hmm. like I had to just raise the question, and I don't know the answer uh is the dancer uh, uh presentation uh sexist I'm gonna say no uh, you see, and I think I'm gonna say no as well, except for yeah. the part where it pretty much starts on a on a on a tight shot of her derriere yep yep mm-hmm. it, it it's it, it's definitely. A shot that's there for, huh. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily there for titillation. It, it's a sexy shot, and it, it's obviously a sexy look. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just feel like the context is is not really there. It's know? not. It's not so lascivious. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. That's right. And the things I thought about were like, I know women who uh, take belly dancing classes. Because mm-hmm. they like taking belly dancing classes. Some are for fitness. Some are because they like they like belly dancing. They like they like doing that for people. I, I think about like mm-hmm. uh, sort of the hula hoop thing as well. Uh, sort of like the great mm-hmm. big hula hoop thing, you know, um, yeah. which is which is um, certainly you know an activity and it's an exercise, but it's also it can be an incredibly uh, sort of sensuous uh, presentation. But mm-hmm. it's not like anybody's, you know, stuffing ones in the pants of the hula hoop or the the hula hoop person. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not a completely lascivious or, or sexist thing. It, it, it partly I brought it up because I wondered about it. I didn't just go, ah, oh, well, that is that. It was more like, is that that? And I'm I'm kind of on your side. I think I think it's not. Um, but it, yeah, I felt like, yeah. Might as well bring. Yeah, it up. I, I mean, I kind of wondered about it because uh, obviously this is a good-looking woman, and, and it's a a revealing costume, even if it's like this alien costume. You kind of go back to the days of you know Vina, the original Orion slave yeah. girl. But right. there's a very different context with with that, where you're saying she is here to seduce you, and that's what these people do. In this context, <laughs> it, it's just and, literally, and uh-huh. she is also called slave girl. Yeah, well, there you go. That a little, yeah. little bit different. Yeah, and this, I feel like I, we're kind of watching it through Alexander's eyes. He's just in this room with all these weird, dare I say, whimsical people. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not putting this together that she is there to entice or be sexy. It's just a weird costume on an alien character, and she's dancing. You know. You're also given to understand that everybody here is here doing exactly what it is they want to do. I mean, the goat-like sure. orator yeah. is there spouting off. The juggler dude is juggling. The two people who like to argue like to argue. And yeah. one one assumes that this woman is in this colony uh, because she enjoys dancing and, you know, enjoys dancing for other people as well. So, okay. Yeah. Like I said, I'm yeah. not making a thing of it because I wasn't even sure it was a thing, but I felt like it was, you know— Again, as I said, well, before. and at the same time, I don't. At the same time, I don't think you can fault somebody for saying, "Hey, that's a good-looking person. This good-looking woman who looks good dancing. Fine, great, you know." But I, I don't think that the the context here lends itself to say that there's anything necessarily lascivious about it. Yeah, so. except for the part where they do start with the tight shot of her backside. Well, it's TV. <laughs> God, really? Really? That's what you're going to do? Come on. It was yeah, the 60s. Well. I mean, look, it's eh, all right. It's not a thing. It is a thing. If you think it's a thing, sure, it's a thing for you. It's not like it was. It's not like a bunch of the other stuff that we've come across. I'm going to put this way, way low on the list of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I would do that. Yes. I would say mm-hmm. the flower pots in the Robin Hood episode were more sexist. Sure. Than yeah. this dancer who likes to dance, dancing for people who like to watch people dance. 
Sure. All right. Let's move on then. Um, There was actually there was actually a bit of depth to what's weird is some of the biggest proclamations in this show. Look, the higher, the fewer is actually kind of an interesting thing. Hmm. It's actually kind of an interesting idea. It pretty much says nothing. But, you know, in saying nothing, it leaves it open to lots of interpretation for like, what does that mean exactly? And and is that Hmm. true? And is that a thing to shoot for? Or are you actually getting less? Uh, the higher up you go. Ooh, all kinds of things to wonder about. Um, <laughs> the one that I was actually more interested, though, was the uh, was the uh, the toast to all the creatures within us. Mm-hmm. Reminded me a lot of The Enemy Within. Uh, especially the the talk that Waxana has with uh, with um, with Alexander when he's like, I don't get that, and she says, you know, basically it's about it's about the urges, it's about the emotions, it's about all the different things inside of us, and they're important things to keep with us wherever we go because I mean, having all of those things within us may actually be the thing that saves us, and and certainly you could argue that that's the thing that makes us, and that yeah. was pretty much the whole thing with the enemy within. Kirk hated both sides of himself when he took both sides of himself apart or when Mm -hmm. both sides were taken apart. Just the brutish sort of all id was terrible. And just the I don't know what to do next uh, uh, paralyzed uh, part of him was terrible. But, you know, put those two things together, you know, and then throw in some life experience. And what you get is Captain Kirk. Yeah, right. Right. In an episode that that really seems to want to say a lot, um, that to me was one of the most important things that this episode had to say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, um, I don't know that there's much more to add to it uh, other than uh, Waxana's making a a, a case for embracing the parts of you that that maybe are a little uncomfortable, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to, just to be able to own up to uh, whatever those urges or desires are. Um, and and that's fine. You know, uh, she gets a little out of hand, maybe by shirking responsibility entirely too much. But maybe she needed to because, well, her responsibility was going to lead her down a bad path that uh, that she wanted no part of anyway. She was lying to herself. So it took Alexander to say, hey, listen to one of those voices like like now. <laughs> go ahead so yeah mm-hmm. uh, and tying it back to the enemy within sure sure that that's i, I never thought that we'd be making uh, quite a parallel between cost of living and the enemy within but <laughs> sure well yeah. i mean it's it, it, here's the, i mean they just come out with these little proclamations every now and mm-hmm. then that's sort of mm-hmm. like okay well obviously somebody wants me to think that that's an important thing so let's examine whether that is or not i mean right. there's another one where she says the great secret it's not the variety of life it's the variety of us. Okay. Yeah. That sort of sounds idic, but it also sort of sounds bull idic. It doesn't sound, it's not, it doesn't exactly. Right. What's the word I'm looking for? Hold up. I mean, it's not, it doesn't, it's sort of like, oh, that's, that's, that's profound. It, it, that, mm-hmm. it, well, it would look good on a poster, but I'm not sure that it actually says anything. Yeah. So you yeah. tell me, um, it's not the variety of life. It's the variety of us. Is there a difference in that? Is she saying it's more important to have different kinds of people around than to have varying experiences? Is she saying anything or was it just like, eh, we need to end this scene. Uh, somebody say something that sounds clever. <laughs> yeah. That, that's kind of how it felt. But, you know, I put it on a coffee mug. Um, <laughs> it, it, it works. Yeah. Put it on a coffee mug, but not a T-shirt. because No, no not a T-shirt. No. no. Yeah. No. Right. No. 
Um, there was something in here that, um, I, you know, I did think about the idea of Internet dating. Um, sure, <laughs> because why not? Uh, um, like you're considering yeah, it? It, no, no, <laughs> actually, I'm not. Okay. But, um, oh, you mean for the show? Okay. I, I mean for now. the show. Sorry I mean for that. the show. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does seem that, you know, here we were in 1992 predicting the idea of, uh, well, people meeting for their first date after corresponding electronically. And it sure seemed a lot like internet dating. Um, mm. But what was more interesting to me was. I guess sort of the changing nature and and wildly varying types of relationships that people have. Deanna is – here's the thing. You could sort of say that Deanna is being judgmental of her mother, but I don't think it's just purely being judgy. I think it's Deanna expressing some concern because clearly Luaxana is hiding something from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Deanna's concern is – well-founded. And so far, what we know of betazoids is that when they're in relationships, for the most part, you can tell that they're choosing who they're in relationships with, and there is some romantic element to it. It's not just purely an arranged thing uh, uh, for the purpose of, you know, kingdom building. So Deanna has some reason to be worried about this path that she's going down. But, But that said, um, I, I'm a little surprised at how surprised she is. Here's Laksana in a very different stage of her life than Diana is in. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Laksana has had a husband who is now gone. She had the tragic end of a relationship that uh, w- was not her own doing, um, if you refer back to half a life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that Luaxana is perfectly within her right to decide how it is that she's going to date and if she's going to get married, then what form that relationship will take. Um, People get married for romantic reasons. People get married for business reasons. People get married for companionship reasons, even if the the sort of traditional idea of romance is is maybe diminished in that kind of relationship, but they're all perfectly valid. They're all perfectly reasonable relationships if they work for the people who are involved in them. So um, it it was sad to see Luaxana sort of break down in that moment with Alexander and, and confess to how lonely she is. But there might actually be something to be said for the idea of finding somebody who also wants to be in a companionate relationship, who can at least offer her that and and at least give her the opportunity to not be so lonely. So hmm. maybe I'm just trying to put a, a little bit of a, a silver lining on this. Clearly, the relationship wasn't going to work out. We weren't going to end up at the end of the 48 minutes and have them in a in a happy marriage. Um I feel like we we had to get out of it for the character of Loaxana to actually find the joy in life that she kept uh, espousing through the episode. But I, I wondered, you know, for a show like Star Trek The Next Generation, which keeps positing these different kinds of relationships that people have, certainly look at, at Riker running the gamut, um, that it might actually be okay for Loaxana to have a different kind of relationship than the kind that she had with Deanna's father. Well, and, and maybe Deanna could actually back off a little bit. Well, no, I mean, look, this would be fine 
I mean, I don't think Deanna would have any problem if Loxana were happy. I mean, the whole point of this episode is not about that. It's about being true to yourself. Yeah. No, it's, it's Loxana lying to herself. Sure. Right. Right. It's yeah. not. It, right. Yeah. She's. I mean, and certainly in relationship, you have to. I think you have to compromise to an extent, but you don't have mm. to compromise yourself. Right. You don't mm-hmm. have to, uh, hopefully anyway, you don't have to, you know, give up on who you are or who you want to be to be in relationship. And that's what she was doing here. I mean, uh, the fact that Deanna was horrified that she wasn't going to show up to her wedding uh, naked because that's a Betazoid tradition. Well, I mean, right. I, you know, have flouted a tradition or two. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, and we all, I mean, you know, if you choose to do that, that's fine. Except, you know, she's the holder of the chalice or whatever and the heir to the rings of the thing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm, I mean, being mm-hmm. Betazoid, being Betazoid royalty, you know, however far removed, is very important to her. And and the fact that she is uh, completely giving up on, on, on what's important to her just to not be alone. I mean, that's that's sort of the lesson here. Look, if she shows up with a 30-year-old boy toy in the next episode and she's like, look, I'm totally happy. Let's talk about something else. You know what? I yeah. think I think, I think think Deanna would be fine with that. I think everybody would be fine with that. I would hope so. I think I would Riker so. would actually suddenly have an interest in Loxana Troy at that point. Yeah, right. Because I think that's the kind of guy he is. But, I mean, I, I think anybody would be fine with whatever kind of relationship – Loxana wants to enter into as long as it's actually the relationship that she wants to enter into. She just wants a relationship here because um, because she fears um, being alone. And and I honestly can't blame her for that, except you would hope that at the end of the day, what you would do is you would hope that at the end of the day, what you would do is be true to you know yourself and what you feel like you need and what you feel like you want. And, um, sure. I mean, again, part of the issue here is the compression of time that we have to have with an episode like this, and that that's a sort of a given. So, it, yeah, of course, I'm not I'm not but, sure it is though because this has been mm. Loxana Troy from the beginning. Look, uh, Half mm. a Life was an amazing revelation because it yeah. seemed like somebody said, you know, we've got this character who's been around for a number of years. We've got this actress who can actually act if somebody writes something for her to act in. Mm-hmm. You know, besides just pratfalls and goofiness. But the one thread that's been true through all of this is Loxana wants to be married. She fell in yeah. love with the bartender on the holodeck. <laughs> okay? She was in love with Picard. She's been this woman who wants companionship in every single episode that we've seen her in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is not... <sighs> I can't remember where I was going with that, <laughs> except that this, <laughs> except this is very true to character. It's actually kind of weird that that it's kind of weird that this you know compromise thing hasn't come up before. But it's also kind of weird that anybody thinks you know that this is a surprising thing because this has been this has been her one note, with the exception of half a life, with the exception of yeah. half a life. This has been her one note in every episode. Well, I, I feel like in this episode, we kind of got close to that idea of exploring, you know, what what would this alternative relationship be like for her? What does she actually need in companionship? But then we kind of get away from it because she, she's she got to go have a mud bath and find herself and then show up naked for a wedding in the end. So, you know, again, it, it is what it is. We, we can't rewrite the episode, <laughs> try as we might with many <laughs> others. <laughs> you know. Um 
Hey, here's the last question for you. I wondered about uh, Worf making that contract with Alexander. Like, it's a funny thing anyway. It's a very sort of uh, like a sitcom contrivance. You know, if it wasn't the father making a contract with the son, it would be the roommates like drawing a line down the middle of the apartment to determine, you know, whose side is which. And and you can't come on my side and I can't come on your side. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I wondered if Worf's uh, incredible resistance to this idea was because he knew that he would break his promises no matter what. I mean, let's face it, the guy has got a pretty bad track record with, um, you know, with the kid, at least. Hey, everybody. Something just occurred to me. The lower, the more. It is just as true, isn't it? The lower, the more. Seriously, I may need to reboot. Whimsy, mirth, merriment, glitter. So much to consider in today's edition of Mission Log uh, and the episode Cost of Living. So now we will consider those things. Uh, Let's start with whether this episode holds up, John. Cost of Living, does this episode hold up? Nope. Thank you very much for coming, everybody. <laughs> no, I mean, look, here, here's the thing. I, I think that I, – I feel like we always have to preface a thing like this to, to remind our audience that uh, we're coming from a place that we agree that Star Trek is good, that we both like Star Trek a lot or else we wouldn't be doing this show. Yep. And we try to take every episode on its own merits. That's the most important thing. We're, we're not you know, ranking Star Trek. That would be a fool's errand, and I've seen those fools try to do that on the internet, and I want no part of it. Um, but you come to an episode like this, and even before we recorded, we got a lot of those sort of emails and tweets of people kind of nudging us like, oh, oh, you got cost of living coming up. Oh, good luck with that one. But you try to put that out of your head and and take it on its own terms. And you and I both did our homework, and we watched this multiple times and took our notes. And I, I will say this. Um, Overall, the episode does not hold up as a production. It doesn't hold up as a story. I, I think it's really hard to make a case for this holding interest. But I will say this. It's not completely irredeemable. You know, I, I'll give them certain things. It, it's a better and more nuanced portrayal of Luoxana than we've had in a while. Mm. Um, well, and, the, last, the, last time, the last time was um, Have a Life. Last time was half a life, but I mean that—that's sort of the high point. Yeah, you know, and, and you—you've got other really minor blips on the radar. At least we're continuing with this idea that we're revealing kind of the tragedy that lies under Waxana. Yeah. So, you know, instead of her just showing up and annoying people, yes, we're actually giving her some depth and some reason to be there. Um, and it's really nice to see Majel back particularly now after Jean has passed away. This is sort of like a reminder that, that you know, she's part of the original. She's part of the, the, the family that, that created this. So it's just good to have her there as kind of an anchor. Um, and I also thought it was a really interesting idea to pair her up with Alexander. The problem with Alexander is you introduce this kid character, you give him to Worf, but... Unfortunately, you have to have Worf do other things in the show. 
Mm-hmm. He can't just every week go back to being the father in this sort of sitcom relationship with a child. Worf has got to do Worf things as well. But now you've introduced the idea that Alexander lives on this ship too. So you've got to give him something to do at least from time to time. This is not a bad pairing, and it's not necessarily a bad idea to put together people who are guest characters and see how that plays out. Unfortunately, ultimately, this doesn't work. The the episode doesn't gel. And um, I, I feel like you can easily not be interested in what's happening with our main characters and this is one of those shows where the B plot just absolutely feels shoehorned in mm-hmm. that, that, that it's a contrivance and and the A and the B plot don't even dovetail at any point. They don't even cross over at any point. Um, so I, I get from the producers and writers point of view, I get the desire to do something fun, something a little lighter. Um, and rely on the guest characters. Again, I think these are all good motivations. They're all good ideas for a way to do a story. But what came out of it was very two-dimensional. And unfortunately, with all that whimsy, it's just very dull. (laughs) That's sort of of the death knell of the episode. It just feels very dull. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And you can tell that they're doing everything they can to not make it that way, but it's not working. So, yeah, um, yeah unfortunately, it doesn't hold up. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, pretty much like 98%. I think I'm with you at least that far. Um, it, it, and it, it sort of it hurts when you consider it the last time we did see uh, the Loxana character was in Half a Life. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just an amazing episode. That was a heartbreaking episode. Um, It it is sad to hear Loxana say what she's saying to Alexander, but she has no business saying that to a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old or whomever. I mean, it it would have actually been great had she had that that, uh, exchange with Deanna at some point, which she did have that exchange with Deanna in Half a Life. Now, maybe you think, well, they didn't want to do the same thing again except the solution to the B-plot they've actually done, was it Galaxy's Child? Was that the thing where they had like the, the baby whatever on the back of the oh, Enterprise? Yeah. And yeah. so they went to where they thought it might have been from to sort of get it to go feed someplace else instead of feeding on the Enterprise. Not mm-hmm. only is the B-plot inconsequential, we've done it before. <laughs> we've right. Right. almost exactly done that before. They killed the mother of the thing, and then the baby one came, and it got them. There's an asteroid, and they and they blew up the asteroid, and now these things that were feeding there had nothing to feed on anymore, so now they're feeding on the Enterprise. And they have mm-hmm. to fly back and let Galaxy's Child, a.k.a. Space Glitter, back off into an asteroid <laughs> field. It's just so bad. And then you and I talked about this, which we rarely do. But you and I talked about this episode before we recorded, and I was like, yeah, I'm trying to find the link between the A plot and the B plot. And I believe what you said to me was, don't, you'll hurt yourself. There's no link there. (laughs) Right. Pretty (laughs) much. And that's that's disappointing. Now, that said, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead into the messages part. There are good messages here. There are good and important messages here. And I wish that they were presented less sort of goofy because I had to watch it a few times before the messages finally started to hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the whole thing about not, not compromising who you are. Compromise? Yes. Compromise yourself? Maybe not that. Mm-hmm. 
um, and what she says too about uh, you know about the loneliness and and then the 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 goat like orator maybe not with the you know the higher the fewer although that one I do still find kind of interesting. Remember those snakes that came out around the same time as the Rubik's Cube? I think it was called Rubik's Snake, actually. Yeah. And there was no solution to the Rubik's Snake. It was just like a fun thing to play with. This is the higher, the fewer. Okay. (laughs) But Loxana's explanation about, you know, toasting the creatures inside us all or whatever that is, that actually, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't feel like I was reaching when I compared that to the enemy within. I feel like she summed up the enemy within. In that, and I've always felt like the enemy within was actually an incredibly important episode of Star Trek for the things that it said. So here's this wonderful little gem in the middle of a pile of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to find a gem in, let's sure. say. Um, so for that, I like it, but yeah, you just watch those three minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't right. don't worry right. about the whole episode. Um, what about you, sir? What about messages from your end? Well, I mean, I, I like that Luoxana and Alexander are bonding over this idea that they don't know how to fit in mm-hmm. and that they're both hurt and lonely. You, you know, mm. we, we get to hear Alexander again. You know, I, it, it's sort of so bizarre that, that you have this kid who saw his mother die and has now been raised by this guy who's totally ill-equipped to be a father – but we just kind of come back to the the sort of goofy bits with him. Like, no, th- this is a, a central tragedy of his life. <laughs> you know, this is this requires some major unpacking by Deanna and probably a whole team of specialists on board the Enterprise. Um, so it, it's interesting to see their sort of budding friendship come along. And and maybe the best thing for them, at least in this context, is to be given the freedom to just let go, to not have to follow the rules, to do whatever it is that they feel like at the moment. Alexander needs that in his life. Alexander has been through hell. Mm. And his father keeps saying, like, nope, you, you got to be honorable and eat that tomatillo. Yeah. Let's, but, let's uh, really quickly, before you get to the rest of it, forgive me for interrupting, mm-hmm. but let's not forget he was also abandoned by his grandparents. And look, yeah. no, they did not actually yeah. abandon him, but to an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old, yes, they did. It's going to feel like abandonment. Yeah, it's absolutely going to feel yeah. like abandonment. And, and, and even though it's not, and one day when he's older, he may understand that. Um, so his mother died. He went to live with his grandparents. And who knows what his thoughts are about that at that point? Probably, mm-hmm. though, he's thinking either he did something wrong or they didn't love him enough or he screwed up. And so now they have right, they've now shoved him off onto somebody else. And yeah. I, I assume and he's now, going to live on the Enterprise until he's 18 and everything's going to be fine. Right, right. <laughs> and, and now this somebody else that he has is, like I said, ill-equipped to be a father. Yeah, well, he, he, he's trying. He's trying. In fairness, he was – well, he, he did not know that he was a father until, he, until the day he was. So to say that he's ill-equipped, sure. I mean most of us have a little time for that. I say most of us, I'm not a dad, but you know, (laughs) if I were, I would have at least nine months, theoretically, or eight months or seven months or however long it was before we all figured it out. I would, I would have a bit of time to, oh, oh, really? Okay. I need to get in that gear. I mean, Kalar actually showed up with a kid. No, I, I, I get it. But you know, let's not kid ourselves here. Worf, Worf's got some issues. (laughs) Worf needs to, Worf needs to work on Worf. Before he can take care of a kid, too. Uh, that might be okay. true. That might be true. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so there, there is something interesting here about these two fundamentally tragic uh, characters, or at least characters that come from tragedy, finding themselves. And, and they're the weird misfits. I mean, you got the eight, 10 year old Klingon boy who's maybe only four, according to the timeline of how <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation has played out. And then you've got Luaxana, who is reviled by so many people around her. I mean, Picard actively avoids her. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So for these two to find each other and, and find some common ground, it's an interesting idea. And I like the idea that, that one of the things that they find in each other is the ability to say, you know what? Enough with rules. We, we just have to, for a moment, even if it's a half an hour, just not do what is expected of us. Alexander needs that in his life, big time. And Worf is not about to be the one to give it to him. So uh, if there's a message there, let loose, hop on a mud bath, eat a glass if you have to. Um, but, but then Deanna comes back in and, and gives the counter to that message, which is you can't entirely run away from responsibility. So maybe at the end of that episode, everybody's a little bit right and everybody's a little bit wrong, but they've got to find a little bit of compromise in there to at least like you're saying, be true to oneself, even if you compromise the situation is you're not compromising who you are. So I think that is uh, some piece of value to be taken from this episode. I agree. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to be more profound there, but that's almost all I had. Uh, the rest of what I have is Mission Log. It's produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Track FM. That is track.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, The Perfect Mate. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. There is one thing that bothers me about this episode. How did Ken make a B-52's joke? But not a joke that included Puddle of Mud. Opportunity, missed. And transmission.